0: The following message was preached at Gospel City Church, a church that seeks to cast a gospel net for the people of Kuala Lumpur. All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Welcome to Gospel City Church. My name is Nick Gagne. I'm a covenant partner here um, at GCC. It is my honor and privilege to share with you the word of God, particularly this passage, um, which seems daunting and scary. Uh, and thank you, Adam, for reading uh, the very long text. Really, really appreciate it. Um, but this is, this is a challenging passage. Um, and this is a passage that this week really, um, really spoke to me. And my hope and prayer is that Judges 17 and 18 will do the same for you. Um, I want to open this way. Throughout the Bible, God says... That he will be the absolute king over all things. Absolute king over all things. That he's taking over and all things will bow down in subservience to him. He will rule over all creation and he will have the final say on all things. And in in the Bible, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament, this reign is described as good as very good even, as one that brings in peace, as one that um, gives hope to people, that brings people joy. But what happens when God is not recognized as king? In other words, what happens when we as individuals Do not recognize the true king. And Judges 17 and 18 give us a pretty complete description of what this looks like when God is not recognized as king. And this is what we're going to spend the majority of the rest of our time talking about today. And we're going to see three problems that emerge when we do not recognize the true king. We see that that we suffer from misdirected devotion. We see that we suffer from compromised devotion. And lastly, we're going to see how we suffer when God is not king from relativized devotion. And lastly, we're going to see what God's absolute rule has to say about each. So my three points, misdirected devotion, second point, compromised devotion, third point, relativized devotion. And then we'll see what God's absolute rule has to say about each. But before we get any farther, um, let me pray for our time. Father God, um, <clears throat> we come before you on a Sunday morning Um and this week has been, has been a challenging week for some. This week has been a very, very sad week for others, Lord God. This week may have been a joyous week for others, Lord. Lord, I want to pray that you will be with us, Lord God. That you will tend to the hearts of, um, of the sad. That you will uh, comfort those that are struggling. That you will um, embolden those who are rejoicing with uh, fervent devotion to you, Father God. Lord, I want to pray that you will um, be with us as we explore this passage, as we look at what it means um, when we do not recognize you as the true king. Lord, will you give me the words to say? Will you give us all ears to hear, Lord? Um, to recognize what you have to tell us. And will you give us minds and hearts to respond, Father God, to respond in obedience and love to you and to respond in love for one another. Lord, Lord, we dedicate the rest of this time to you. Um, Thank you, Lord, for being the true king. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. So my three points: misdirected devotion, compromised devotion, relativized devotion. Let's look at the first one: misdirected. Um, uh, misdirected devotion. So our story opens with Micah. Okay, Micah is this guy. He lives in the hill country of Ephraim. Ephraim is kind of like in the Midwest of ancient Israel. Okay, Micah hears his mom utter this horrible curse on whoever stole his money, or sorry, her money. Now, this is a big problem for Micah because he was the one that stole her money, okay? He, he evidently took the curse seriously enough and had enough fear for the Lord that he, he was scared. So what he does is he confesses his crime to his mother. Um, she takes back the curse. He hands back the money and together they come together and they go to a um, a craftsman who builds them a graven image in honor of God, a graven image that they're meant to worship in honor of God. Now, in addition, they built an ephod. Okay, this ephod is kind of a breastplate that a priest would wear as he was serving his priestly duties. And we also see household gods in this description. Well, these household gods were not meant to be worshipped. We might think that they are, but, but they were set up to kind of do witchcraft, uh, divination, to kind of read the mind of God and to uh, understand his will. Um, think of it as kind of the witch doctors in Sarawak. Um, they would use household instruments in order to in order to try to um, intercede between a pagan spirit and humans. Well, this is kind of what Michael was trying to do with these household gods. Now, remember, and this is going to sound crazy, but remember, his mother and Micah, they are. All They're doing this all to honor God. Or at least they think that by doing all of this, they are honoring God. Okay. Um, And while it is really good to honor God, they're doing it in a radically, radically inappropriate way. And they're doing it in in a radically inappropriate way for a number of reasons. First, if the mother really wanted to honor the Lord with her silver... Well, Leviticus twenty-two twenty-one 21 says that she should have presented it to the priest at the tabernacle of the Lord in Shiloh, which is actually not too far from where they live. But, well, she does not do that. Secondly, Micah ordains his son as priest over the shrine. Now, at this time in the Old Testament, only Levites that were directly descendant from Aaron could be priests. Well, Micah and his son, they were from Ephraim, and they were not descendants of Aaron, so they could not be priests. Thirdly, this mother dedicates her silver to the Lord, but she only uses 200 pieces out of 1,100 in order to do it. It shows that maybe her fervent devotion to God was not really all that fervent after all. Lastly, um, the Old Testament has has grievous warnings against those that would seek to do witchcraft. Okay, God says, put them put them to death, clear them out of the nation if they try to perform witchcraft, which was what the household idols were for. So with all these things, it might sound apparent, it might sound like they're being fervently devoted to God, but they're really not, okay? They knew, that in ver- they knew that it was wrong for Micah to appoint his son as a priest. Verse 13 of chapter 17 says, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as priest. They knew this was wrong, yet they did it. And But really the last issue with Micah's devotion here, and this is the biggest one, is with this graven image, they actually violated the second of the Ten Commandments. Uh, the second of the Ten Commandments s- says that you will not make graven images of God. Well, God gave this command because... It's actually impossible for an image that you worship to capture the full range of God's glory. It is impossible for an image you worship to capture the full range of God's glory. You can emphasize God's strength in this image. But when you do that, you might marginalize his compassion. You will marginalize something else. You can demonstrate God's grace in an image. But in that same image, it is hard not to ignore his justice. The truth is, you cannot really demonstrate all of who God is in an image. So, if you worship God through any image, it, it's going to give you this slanted understanding of God. See, Micah here, when he's when he's uh, creating this shrine, he is emphasizing God's desire to bless. Okay that's what he says in verse 13 he's doing all of this so that God will bless him. But in the meantime he's at at he's doing this at the expense of God's holiness. God sets certain commands on how he is to be worshiped. And this is kind of what verse 6 is getting at here. You have people like Micah, Micah is not the only one. He's kind of a representative of Israel here. Um he is seeking to, um, to, to, to uh, focus on one aspect of God while minimizing the other. And if we're honest, this is something that happens today as well. We may not actually carve a graven image to God, but we may mentally carve images of God where we, exclusive, is where we exclusively pay attention to one of God's attributes at the cost of the other. For example, we might rightly talk about God's love. And that is good and proper and we need to. But we may also at the same time not talk at all about God's wrath against sin. I mean, it would be unloving if God did not judge sin. Or we might talk about God's mercy and grace, but do we talk about his holiness? Do we emphasize his holiness and his love and his grace and his mercy? Or do we just emphasize one aspect of God? If we exclusively talk about God in one way instead of another, What we're doing is we're carving God into a specific image that we think God should look like. And it's really what we want God to look like. Like the phrase, God helps them who help themselves. That is not a biblical phrase. That's not a biblical concept. God shows grace and God helps lots of, in fact, everyone, um, God, God, everyone that God helps does not deserve to be helped, right? They do not help themselves, right? The, the example here is Micah. Um, it's not biblical. This carved image of God that we make usually ends up looking a lot like us. So the things that we value, the things that we emphasize, those are the things that we think uh, God emphasizes, that God prioritizes. And what this does is it gives us an inaccurate understanding of God. It distorts our understanding and it keeps us from truly appreciating and loving the Lord. So this is why GCC here, we regularly preach and regularly conduct Bible studies through entire books of the Bible. This is why um, we teach all the aspects and qualities of God as it is presented in God's word. Because we want to give an accurate understanding of who God is. And this is also one of the reasons why reading the Bible individually is so important. Because it allows us to truly understand who our great God is, instead of just having a caricature of him. Well, Micah had misdirected devotion. He was trying to, he was trying to shape God in, as he saw fit. Are we trying to do the same All right, my first point, misdirected devotion. Well, my second point is compromised devotion. Let's take a look at this one. The scene shifts to an unnamed Levite who leaves Bethlehem and makes his way to Micah's house. The Levites, they were this tribe of Israel that were given the unique role by God to corporately serve him in the tabernacle. In Joshua 21, God gives the Levites 48 cities scattered through Israel to live in. The Levites' sole job was to travel to God's chosen house of worship in order to serve God and minister to his people. Yet this Levite that we see in chapter 17 is very different than um, God's, God's wish for the Levites. Um, This Levite, he lives in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is not one of the 48 Levite cities. He did not journey to God's place of worship with other Levites. Instead, he moves into Micah's house and he serves as priest in Micah's shrine. And Micah, he's he's ecstatic about this, okay? He is absolutely happy. According to 17, verse 13, um, he believes that God will prosper him because this Levite has become his priest. Well, both the Levites and Micah here are actually using God to try to get blessings. They're trying to use God in order to get blessings instead of actually worshiping him for who he is. Well, the Levite is doing this through his appointed position, right? God made him as a Levite and gave him a certain role. And now he is he is abusing that role to make money and to gain prestige. Well, Micah, he is doing this through the shrine. He is doing it through the shrine and the Levite that he just hired to be his priest. But we see this kind of compromised devotion existing today as well. See, people try to find ways to get God to bless them all the time. I mean, some that's why some owners have spirit houses outside of their businesses here in Malaysia, or that is why some business owners have altars inside of their restaurants. Now, we as Christians, we might feel uncomfortable by this, but... If we really think about it, we have a more Christianized version of doing the same thing. Some of us might think that God will owe us if we serve a church, or if we tithe, or if we give to charities, or we speak calmly to our family members during this stressful MCO, or maybe we do our job really, really well in a kind way. Now, when we serve God out of thanksgiving and, and, and joy for what he has done for us, God chooses to bless us. He can choose to bless us. Um, he blesses us by giving us joy in our service. He blesses us by using our service to grow us in a greater relationship with him and in others. That's that's how God can choose to uh, bless us. That's one of the predominant ways that God chooses to bless us when we serve him. But when God does bless us, he is choosing to freely do it out of his grace. Um, He's not doing it because he owes us anything. He's doing it because he wants to, because he loves us. See, God chooses to bless people for his sake, not because we earn it. And we see this in Psalm 115, verse 3, that our God is in the heavens, that he does all that he pleases. We see this in Malachi 3, 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. See, God does not change his mind about whether he will bless us or not based on based on how we how we serve him he chooses to bless us because he wants to and here's what what's happening when we try to um use god to get a blessing what we're actually showing is that our goal is not really to honor god our goal is to get what we want um, when we do that, service and devotion to God becomes all about our own prosperity, whatever we define prosperity to look like. Um, this becomes our end goal. And honestly, this is a very, very deadly way to think. Look with me at First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Um, I'll read verses 9 through 10 for us. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Jesus says something very similar to this in Matthew 19.24. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What God is not saying here is that it is a sin to be wealthy. He's not saying that. What he's saying here is uh, the sin is when wealth becomes our end goal. It becomes our purpose. Philippians 3, 18 through 20 expands on this. And it actually calls people whose hearts are set on nothing more than accumulating earthly prosperity enemies of Christ. And so with this, the question that we need to ask ourselves is why are we doing what we are doing? Any of it. Why are we doing our jobs? Why are we serving a church? Why are we talking Uh, Why are we talking friendly and compassionately towards others? Are we living our lives doing good works? um, Expecting that God will owe us a blessing or two because we do these things? Or are we truly serving God out of thanksgiving? out Out of joy for what he has given us through Christ? Are we compromising our devotion? Well, let's move on to the third point. If we misdirect our our devotion, if we compromise our devotion, the inevitable result is we relativize our devotion. If we take a quick look back to the very beginning of the book of Judges, chapter 1, verses 1 through 36, we see the Danites. The Danites were unable to conquer the land that God gave them. And that was solely because they were unfaithful to God. And now if we go back to our passage today in chapter 18, we see that the Danites do not have the land. Um, They And they they do not have this land, and that really irritates them, okay? They're a big tribe. They need more land. They didn't accomplish it, accomplish what they were supposed to do because of unfaithfulness to God, but they still really want the land, okay? They really, really want it. And so what they do is they send they, they go on the spy mission and they send spy, five spies out to scout the land and return to the tribe um, in order to see what they can find, to, to see if there's any places in the promised land that they could take over. Well, the five spies, they return to the tribe and they, they report about the city of Laish. Um, it's a great target. It's um, undefended. It's peaceful. It's insecure. It's vulnerable. And the Danites are ecstatic about this. They send out 600 men um, clad for war in order to go conquer the city. Well, they make a pit stop to Micah's house. Apparently all roads in Israel lead to Micah's house. Um, they, they steal the priests, the Levites. They, or you know, or otherwise, they, they they convince him that he'd be better off to work with them. They steal the shrine that that Micah builds. And then they march to Laish, they kill everyone. they burn down the city, and then they claim it as their own. They rebuild the city and make it as they see fit. Now, Instead of treating this whole story as one where the Danites obediently and faithfully um, obeyed God, they went out and they conquered the land that they were supposed to, the author here treats this as a tragedy. Well, first, the, the, the five spies, they bring the Danite soldiers to Micah's house. They hire the Levite and they steal Micah's shrine. Micah chases after them, crying out, you take my gods that I made and the priest, and you go away, what have I left? They took everything that Micah thought was valuable. And once they conquered Laish, with the help of the Levite, they set the shrine up as the official worship location in Dan. This shrine, according to verse 30 of chapter 18, becomes a major source of idol worship for Israel. And it becomes this major source of idol worship for Israel until the days of captivity, which is another way of saying the days when the northern tribes were sent into exile by the Assyrian kings. This means that the idolatry of Micah, the idolatry of the Levite, and the idolatry of Dan all has lasting effects of Israel for hundreds of years. In fact, if we look ahead to 1 Kings, we see this shrine in Dan becomes one of the official idol worship shrines for King Jeroboam. And we also find out the name of the Levite behind all of this. And this will blow your mind. Okay. The name is Jonathan. He is the grandson of Moses. Of Moses. like. The Moses. Out of anyone in the Old Testament, the grandson of Moses should know how God acted through his grandfather. He would have received the best training in the law available. He would have known the law backwards and forwards, or at least he should have. Um, He would have, as the grandson of Levi, every opportunity to serve God properly as a Levite. And yet the Levite, and then later his offspring, they lead Micah, then the tribe of Dan, and eventually all of the northern tribes of Israel into idolatry. And the second part of this tragedy is that the Danites, they conquer Laish. In Judges 18, 27, the soldiers conquer Laish and kill everyone. This attack was not commanded by God. Um, When God, previously in the book of Judges and and before that, and and, uh, before that, when God wanted Israel to take a city, the author would usually describe the atrocities of the city and then mention how God is the one that takes the city for Israel. Well, here in, in Judges 18, God is not acting on behalf of Dan. And the author mentions twice that the people of Laish were peaceful. They were not a threat to anyone. They were prosperous, but they were defenseless. And so when the Danites strike them with the edge of the sword and they burn the city, the Danites actually become the bad guys. See, because throughout Judges, whenever the bad guy oppressed someone, the oppressed person or the oppressed people always needed a deliverer. Yet here, Laish is the one that needs a deliverer. And they need a deliverer to save them from Dan. And yet, there is no deliverer. But the truest of all, Tragedies here is that all of this is being done in the name of the Lord. The Danites set up a shrine to worship the Lord. They destroy Laish because chapter 18, verse 10 says that they believed God placed it in their hands when clearly he did not. It was a sin for them to go after Laish like that. Instead, what they did, instead, what they did. Um, was that they performed the way that they thought the the, the God that they carved out in their mind would like. The God that they carved out in their mind would act like this, they thought. So let's go out and do it. When in reality, it was just them using God as an excuse for doing what they wanted to do. And we don't just see this here in Judges 18. We see this today. For example, if we distort God into into a God that prioritizes love but is not too concerned about holiness, and if He rewards us for, if we believe that this God rewards us for showing kindness to people, then what stops us as Christians from having physical relationships with people that we're not married to? I mean, God is a God of love. He wouldn't mind too much. We love one another. So God will approve. Or at least he'd be okay with it. Well, what we're doing here is we're relativizing God's command against extramarital physical relationships in favor of our own desires. Or maybe it's more subtle than that. Maybe we've been under MCO for a very long time. And we stopped finding ways to um, reach out to our neighbors like we're called to do. And instead, we spend our time laying on the couch, maybe reading a good book that we want to read and playing video games. After all, God is patient. He loves me and he, he wants me to be happy. He'll understand that I just need time to recharge and rest. Now, I want to be careful here because there are times where we as humans need to rest and that is good god gave us rest and during this mco stresses when you've got things like zoom fatigue when you've got things like um, when you've got different hardships going on you probably want to rest and recover a little bit more and that's fine that's good but if our regular excuse to not go out, or to not reach out, I should say, to our uh, friends, colleagues, neighbors, um, at least through WhatsApp messages, or through uh, FaceTime, or, or Zoom, or Skype, to check in on them, and ask them how they're doing, and ask them how you can pray for them. If our excuse is we just need to rest, and, um, instead, of, instead of doing those things, then we might have a problem. Because what we're doing is we're relativizing God's command to make disciples in favor of our comfort. Maybe it's more subtle. Maybe it's even more subtle than this. Maybe we hold a grudge against the family member or a friend who, as we're locked up t- together um, during this MCO, did something unkind to you. And, you know, we probably, we know we probably should seek restoration and reconciliation with that person because that honors God. But we don't. We don't because it's hard to do that. And God will forgive us anyway. Well, in that moment, what we're doing is we're relativizing, we're relativizing God's call to reconcile because of our desire to be comfortable. Is more important to us. And the reason we do this is because ultimately we believe that we make better kings than God. We believe that we're smarter, that we're more capable, that we have a better grasp on reality to make decisions about our own lives than God ever could. Yes, we want a God like we want, we want a God like Micah wanted a God, but we want one that we can control. We want a small God that does not require too much from us, that allows us to just go out and live our lives the way that we see fit. And you see, the only problem with this is everything. Because when we misdirect When we compromise, when we relativize our devotion, we end up with a God who will always let us down, who is always powerless to protect us, who keeps us anxious about losing him, just like Micah was anxious about losing. And that's why people obsessed with wealth are always deep down afraid of losing it. And then they go out and they do whatever it takes to secure their wealth. But you see, being our, being our own king also proves stressful in relationships. Because we do whatever is right in our own eyes. Then sooner or later, as the person that we're in a relationship with becomes, becomes, uh, becomes trouble, in our minds, trouble then we lash out at them in anger, or uh, we get stressed out at them, or maybe even we leave that relationship and turn to another that fits our mold better, that, that looks better in our own eyes. It's why people turn to specific forms of entertainment or recreation and are able to justify these in their minds. And so we come to the question how do we escape this misdirecting, this compromise, and this relativized devotion? Well, while Judges paints a picture for us what life looks like when God is not King, the person of Jesus, the true King, shows us what it's like to have him as our ruler. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus heals the sick, he feeds the famished, he restores sight to the blind, he raises the dead to life. He did, not have, he did not acquire land like the Danites, or build a shrine out of silver like Micah did. He did not have wealth like Micah's mother. He did not seek prosperity. Instead, he used his kingship to bless others. And when the time came for him to surrender himself to the religious authorities, he took the place of Barabbas, a man very similar to the Danites in Judges 18. And he, he gets nailed to the cross and he dies. Through his death, Jesus pays the penalty for our wickedness. And if we place our faith in him and we follow him as the true king, then he guarantees us forgiveness for our sins and true eternal life. Because this Jesus, three days after his death, rose from the dead and he promises that the same will happen to us if we trust, if we place our trust, faith, and hope in him. No longer do we have to try to secure our own life because the one who gave us life has secured it for us. We don't need to be anxious of losing God because according to Romans eight thirty one, and the rest of Romans 8, there is no height, nor depth, nor width, nor length that separate us from the love of God. That will never, God's love will never go away from us if we are in Christ. No longer do we need to try to earn God's blessing because according to Romans 8, 28 through 29, all things work to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. No longer do we likewise need to relativize our devotion because he who gives us life promises that our best life is not in the here and now. Our best life is the one that he secured on the cross. The one that is yet to come. The new creation where we will reign with Christ in splendor for all eternity. This is the promise of the gospel. That if we trust that great king. That wonderful king of the universe. If we trust everything that he has done for us, if we place our faith in him and if we depend on him, then in that trust, he will empower us to live a life imitating the king. Because of the work of Christ, we no longer need to have misdirected devotion. We no longer need to have compromised devotion or relativized devotion because the king is here and we can trust that his rule is great and he will bring us joy and life um, in the life to come. even starting in a little way, in little ways now. This is what it looks like to be under the true king. And to uh, the extent that we, that we really trust this message, this gospel, that is, the, that, is, that is the extent that we can go out and we can imitate Christ the way that he loved others, the way that he supported others the way that he gave graciously to others. We can go out and we can imitate Christ in those ways, trusting that the true King has given us everything that we need. Let us pray. Father God, you are wonderful. Thank you for this time. Thank you that you have done everything for us. Oh, you are our true king. and We are thankful, Lord God, because you are such a better king than we are. Help us to remember that. Help us to trust that. Help us to live in that. And in faith, empowered by you, let us go out and imitate you, um, even from a socially distanced manner. May we imitate you in the way that we show love to others, Lord God. Father God, you are great. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We invite you to learn more about Gospel City Church at gospelcitychurch.my.